Hello, San Pedro Podcast, episode 60. You are listening to the Hello San Pedro Podcast. I'm Amanda, your host. Join me as I talk to amazing people within our community business owners, community activists, local leaders, and people like you and me who love San Pedro. This is a place where we'll share big ideas, discuss hot topics, and spread good vibes. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hello San Pedro podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Silva. Um, This is take two for my intro because the first time I recorded this intro, I shouldn't even say first time, I should say um, like third attempt to record this intro. Um, It clocked in at 25, 27 minutes. So I'm going to do my best to say everything that I want to say in a much shorter span of time because I know that you guys have a life and you do not have all day to be listening to podcasts. Um, Wow. I think, um, first of all, deep breaths, everybody. A lot has happened since the last episode went out, which was on Thursday, May 28th, I believe. Um, It is now Tuesday, June 2nd, as I record this, um, and it'll probably be um, June 3rd by the time I put it out, but a lot has happened, so I'm just going to get right into it. Um, On May 25th, a man named George Floyd, a black man in Minneapolis, um, was arrested for allegedly using a fake $20 bill. And I don't know if that $20 bill ended up actually being fake, but he was arrested, he was detained, and he was in police custody. There were four officers involved in this arrest, and even though he was in handcuffs, even though he was detained, and even though they had complete control of the situation, um, somehow, somehow he ended up on the ground, and all four officers have were physically oppressing him with their knees so they had their knees on his body one officer is the the main one um involved in this incident and he his name is Derek Chauvin he has now been arrested for murder um but basically his knee was on George Floyd's neck and um he was physically oppressing him for nearly nine minutes and in those nine minutes we hear all of this was on video the video went viral um and in that video we hear george floyd um plead and beg for his life and repeatedly say i can't breathe i can't breathe and at one point even calls out to his mother um which was absolutely heartbreaking um george floyd lost his life in that incident and And that event took place on May 25th. So that was pretty much over a week ago by now at this point. Um, The national response to this was outrage. Um, People all on, on social media were outraged by this video. They were heartbroken and they were upset and um very quickly after protests began to pop up all across the nation and this wave of protests um you know across the nation eventually did turn into riots and and looting and and i don't want to conflate the two there are peaceful protests and there are also um i will i I want to categorize them as opportunistic criminals or maybe just incredibly angry people who want to tear down and dismantle the system, if you will. But um, I'm not I'm not going to try and make sense of the looters and the violence that has, um, you know, regretfully followed the protests but peaceful protests are continuing throughout the nation and that wave of protests has um reached us here in san pedro and in the south bay community and in long beach and in palos verdes um and first can i just say how pleased i was to see that there are people in our community they were there out um today on june 1st um holding up signs saying black lives matter they were standing in solidarity they were um holding up signs of 
George's last words. I can't breathe. And um, we're feeling it here. Um, another thing that I was so happy to see was the small business community come together and the community come to support the small business community. They were boarding up our local businesses on 6th Street in the downtown area and the surrounding areas. And, um, you know, on on those planks of wood that were boarding up the businesses, you know, we saw messages saying minority owned, um, you know, we stand with you, um, Black Lives Matter. And I was just really happy to see the community come together for San Pedro. Um, and yeah. Um, I did see some pictures of, uh, you know, other local business owners. And if, you know, if you don't know the context of it, you're just seeing, you know, white men with guns, um, which was a little concerning and not going to lie. It was a little triggering, um, for people, but, um, you know, knowing the context, knowing what is going on in our nation, um, with a little hesitance and grain of salt, I could, I could clearly see that these are just small business owners trying to protect, um, everything that they worked for. Um, I want to take a minute to thank our local law enforcement, um, our Harper Police Department, our, our local sheriffs. I want to take them a moment to thank you guys for the hard work that you're doing, for the difficult job that you guys have. Um, I know right now across the nation you feel despised and you do not feel loved by your communities I just want to let you know that you are loved by this community and we appreciate the work that you are doing here um, and I want to make sure that it's clear that we are not against you in fact you know um, seeing the pictures of local law enforcement kneel in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement you know thank you thank you you are the change that needs to happen in this world um, Black Lives Matter is a movement that is against police brutality. And um, we know that there is a larger system at play here. And that is the um, that is the system and the, the, the policies that are in place to protect um, racist actions of of police officers. And that is what we are against. Um before we get into the main episode, I wanted to kind of give a little bit of context for what we're seeing happen in our nation. Um, you know, George Floyd died at the, at, in the hands of um, police officers on May 25th. But there were a few other stories that happened in in 2020. And mind you, all of this is in the backdrop of a global pandemic. I mean, we have been in the middle of a pandemic since, um, I want to say February and in, in the middle of March, that's when we were ordered to stay at home. Um, and only essential businesses were allowed to be open. Um, so we've all been cooped up in our homes for nearly three months. And, um, in those three months, we've seen a few stories that have, pertain to this issue of police brutality, of um, racist, unjust systems in place in regards to how black people are treated. And um, I think we need to just go over them quickly before we get into the episode so we have some context. Um, in February, late February, um, a, a 25-year-old black man by the name of Ahmed Arbery was gunned down by two white men in um, Georgia and um, the two men that gunned him down were not police officers they were um, civilians who had guns who um, were apparently responding to an alleged robbery that took place in the area um, and that alleged robbery turned out not to have even taken place um, or at least not taken place within that area and Ahmed Arbery, who was innocently jogging in a neighborhood in Georgia, was gunned down by a white man and a white son, a white father and white son in um, in their pickup truck. And um, that happened in February. We did not see arrests until May. 
Um, we didn't see anything happen on that till May. There was videos released. Um, it went viral. Social media was outraged. People demanded for justice in his name. And that's when we saw arrests nearly two months later. Um, and that's a shame. That's a shame. Um, next, we have Brianna Taylor, who was a young 26-year-old EMT who wanted to be a nurse. She was in her own apartment in Louisville, and um, the Louisville Metro Police Department busted through her apartment door, and her boyfriend, who had who was asleep, woke up to the disturbance. He grabbed his weapon, which was um, a gun that he had the license to carry, and he fired a shot, which hit a police officer in his leg. The police officers responded to that shot with um, a lot more shots. Um, basically, they started, they began firing, and Breonna Taylor was hit with eight rounds of, um, of bullets and she did not make it. She was fatally shot. The police were I allegedly there in response or not in response, but they were they had a no-knock warrant that was granted by a judge and they were seeking an a a drug suspect um of some kind. Um that suspect was already in in you know, police custody somewhere else. Um, and yet they were still, they were here. They were at this apartment. They busted through the door unannounced without knocking. And now Brianna Taylor is dead. And her husband, her boyfriend is, um, is, was arrested for attempted murder of an officer. Um, he had the right to carry a gun. He was in their home and he fired a shot. Um, at intruders basically and here he is basically in in custody and he's facing jail time um when they were just innocently in, in their own apartment so nothing happened so far to these police officers that went into this apartment and um and essentially killed brianna taylor um i believe an investigation was uh opened after the response from social media um but that's what happened in march later actually earlier before george floyd passed away and and it was recently um pretty much in the end of may also we saw another story and it wasn't a death but that was honestly lucky if we're we know society. Um, that's the story of Christian Cooper, who was a, a, a black man um, bird watching in Central Park in New York City. And um, he politely asks a white woman by the name of Amy Cooper to put her, her dog on her leash, um, basically asking her to follow the rules of the park. Um, and when things got escalated because she did not want to do that, he pulled out his phone and started recording her. And um, in that video, we clearly see her threaten to call the cops and say that a black man was threatening her life. And not only did she threaten to do it, she did it. She called the cops and she, the way she changed her voice to make it sound like she was in immediate danger. I mean, t to me, I, I was shocked and I was appalled. Um, the way she sounded talking on the phone with 911 responders um, versus the way she addressed Christian Cooper. I mean, you would think that she had a knife to her throat the way she talked to 911. And it was very clear that she knew what she was doing. And she knew she was manipulating a system that was already... Um, that was already known for being unfair to African-Americans in this country. And she used that system. She weaponized it to, to threaten him. Um, and it's, it's lucky that he had his, his phone and it's lucky that he took a video because we don't know what would have happened to him otherwise. Um, 
I was happy to hear that she lost her job and, you know, she feels like her life is ruined and all that, you know, because it was incredibly awful what she did. Um, so all of this is in the backdrop of, of George Floyd. All of these things happened within a four month period, um, right up to the point that George Floyd died on May 25th. And when he died, the nation just went nuts in, in protests, in riots and in looting. Um, the Minneapolis police department building actually went up in flames. It is destroyed. Um, and unfortunately we saw violence and looting take place all across the country. Um, I do not condone violence. I do not condone looting at all, but I think what we're seeing here is a historical moment. Um, we need to acknowledge the real root of the issue, which is there are racist systems and policies in place that do not hold the same protections for our African-American community, for our black community, for our people of color. Um, so with all of that in mind, let's go ahead and get into the episode. Um, I brought on, um, you know, in times like these, I think it's really important that uh, we look to some type of guiding voice. For me personally, I really, when I, when all of this went on, I was going nuts on social media. I was obsessively checking my phone and I wanted to hear from somebody that I looked up to, from, that I, that I knew and I trusted and I, um, a leader, a local leader, if you will. And I wasn't seeing a lot of response from local leaders, if you will, um, a lot of religious organizations, you know, I had even looked up a few churches in the area to see what they were saying about all of this. And, um, I was, I, I didn't hear much other than the little footnote at the end of their Sunday service saying like, PS, let's pray for our nation because our nation is hurting. And I just wanted something more. I wanted something that really acknowledged the hurt that our nation is feeling right now. Um, and that's when I came across Mission Ebenezer Family Church's Facebook post, um, which I'll go ahead and end with. But um, I invited Pastor Josh, who was the senior pastor um, at Mich Mission Ebenezer Family Church, and his wife, Bumi Canales, um, to have this difficult conversation with me for the podcast. I think in times like these, it's really helpful to look to our spiritual leaders um, for some guidance, for some hope, to shed some light, and to um, point us in the right direction. Um, I know not everybody is, you know, Christian and not everybody believes in God or is, um, I, you know, identifies with a particular religion, but I thought it was important to bring our local voices, our local spiritual voice here um, on the podcast um, to, to help us with this. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and read the Facebook post that they posted. And um, after a quick um, sponsor ad, we're going to get right into our conversation. It says this, as a church, we cannot be silent. We must speak out against the atrocities and sin in this world. Racism is real. It exists. It operates overtly in the bright of the sun and covertly in the shadows of everyday life. It has had a profound effect on our nation for over 200 years. It has especially had an effect on African Americans. The sooner we acknowledge it, the sooner we as a body can begin to come together and pray against it and dismantle it. We cannot keep operating separate of one another, trying to face the trials of this world on separate grounds. We need to listen to the stories that many have faced with open ears and open hearts. We should be moved to action by injustice. Our very spirits stirred to cry out until the heavens shake. We need to get down on our knees in prayer for the lives that were taken unjustly from this earth because of the color of their skin. Yes, the color of their skin. We are all God's children made in his likeness. We need to care for one another. We need each other. Mission Ebenezer, pray for our nation right now that is broken, that is filled with anger, hurt, and pain and despair. Do not try to justify it or explain it away. Do not ignore it. Do not pretend 
It is not your problem. It is all it is all our problem as a people of God. Pray for the Floyd family, for the mother whose last memory of her son is hearing him call out her name, pleading for his life. Pray for those who are struggling, numb with pain and feeling unseen and unheard. Pray for those that continue to live in denial, unwilling to recognize the deep-seated prejudices that live in all of us. Pray for God to check our hearts and to break it for what breaks his. Pray Dr. Martin Luther King's dream to come true to fruition one day. Pray and pray some more. Let us open our mouths in prayer and in speech. We can no longer be silent. This episode was brought to you by St. Peter Today, your local community magazine, bringing you stories from San Pedro. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of Hello San Pedro. And today on the podcast, I have two very special guests um, who are coming at a very crazy time. I've actually turned to them because I think with everything that's going on right now, we can't ignore it and something needs to be said. Um, I'm very grateful to have our family pastor, Pastor Joshua Canales, with his wife, Boomi Canales, here to give us some words of wisdom, some guiding words. Uh, thank you, Josh and Boomi, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah, Amanda, we love your family and honored to be on your show. It's uh, pretty exciting. Pedro's lucky. <laughs> um, well, you know, on the podcast, I, I always keep it very Pedro-centric, um, and I always, you know, keep it about Pedro and whatever, but I know that there are a lot of Pedro families who go to Mission Ebenezer Family Church, which is your church, and um, I mean, my parents have been there, my family has been there for 15 years, and wow. <laughs> it's, I know, I can't believe it's passed by that far. I actually remember when you introduced Bumi to the church, which is funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, well, I, I was hoping for the audience, um, if you could, you know, tell us a little bit about yourselves and, you know, your roles at the church and a little bit about you guys. Well, we're the pastors of Mission Ebenezer Family Church, and we're right in the heart of the South Bay. Um, we're really one of the churches of the harbor, and, and Pedro um, is dear to my heart. I grew up... Um, uh, with with Pedro being always central to who we were as a church when we were getting started um, lots of families from Pedro were a part of the mission and we bounced around in seven different locations uh, and I represent third generation pastor within my family my grandfather Miguel Canales started our church in 1959 and then my father pastored it for 41 years and so there you go. Um, here we are, and Boomi and I have been pastoring the church for a little over a year now, um, and it has wow. been exciting. It's been challenging, um, thrust to the fore of, of uh, Mission Ebenezer and everything um, that it entails. It's such a blessing. What an honor it is, um, and it has been to serve the community, even your family specifically, the Villas. Uh, uh, you guys are just a blessing, and and now of course Silva. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it was funny to have to change my name just to like switch two letters around. <laughs> but um, well, that's, that's funny. I know it's like all this hassle just to move a letter around, which is really funny. But um, well, I really appreciate you guys being on the show. I mean, that church for me has like like in the name it really has felt like family you know i remember being brand new just as like a 15 16 year old and that family feeling you know was was so present you know and even now it really is um i i wanted to bring you guys on because you know in the midst of all this chaos which we're about to get into I was kind of looking for some leadership, you know, in the, in the community. And I was really pleased to see that Mission Ebenezer, you know, had put a, a post on Facebook 
um, you know, addressing what's going on. And, and it wasn't just, you know, like, like other, you know, organizations, religious organizations, you know, it wasn't just, oh, let's pray for our nation, which I feel, you know, yes, we do need to do, but I feel like there is more to be said about what's going on. Um, so I guess we can kind of start with, what happened this past week? Um, in your own words, how would you describe the events that took place this past week? I'll let uh, Bumi start. Um, as far as you know, what's culminated throughout this week, it just it was a, a boiling point of a lot of pent up um, frustration, anger, feelings of um, being unrecognized, being unheard. Um, I know that a lot of people. Um, have a hard time differentiating the protesting from the writing. You know, the protesting was just um, in response to the Minneapolis PD's um, delaying of acknowledging the events that occurred with George Floyd with their officers as far as um, issuing an arrest. Mm -hmm. um, I, I firmly believe that if they would have been swifter in acting and calling out the situation is wrong and um, going into an investigation phase earlier um, and then coming to the conclusion, um, people would not have been so frustrated and angry with the delay. And the delay is something that the African-American community has seen happen over and over when situation arise between um, Black men and women and the PD with use of force or deadly force. Um, and so um, I think that people just kind of felt like, you know, enough's enough. Like, it shouldn't take you a whole week to conclude that your officer was in the wrong for having his knee on the gentleman's neck for almost nine minutes, which um, resulted in his death. Um, so, and I also think that because of the pandemic and people being frustrated, being home, people struggling with unemployment, um, the, just the overwhelming feeling of feeling of being you know, left in the house for, we're going on almost three months now. It was just the, the perfect storm of things that just kind of exploded all at once. And people were just like, I need to get out of here. I need to let out all these feelings and emotions that are been boiling inside of me from being triggered by the events and also just um, the emotions of the pandemic and what it's done to individual families in America, so. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. I feel like you're right. This is like probably the perfect storm in the worst case scenario. You know, we, you know, for people who binge listen to this and this episode is coming up, you know, after I've been on for a couple more years, they're probably gonna be like, what the heck is going on? But yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic, a global pandemic, and we've been pinned up in our houses for over three months or nearly three months. We, I think we need to back up a little bit to, you know, the events of not even this week, but a little bit earlier, we saw the death of, I think, Ahmed Arbery. I think people were really, really upset about what had happened there. And the fact that that happened in February, and we didn't really see anything happen until people got very upset, until video was released. And then we saw some justice, you know, then we saw the, the, the murderers, let's just call them what it is, get arrested and, and put into the system and, and go through their process. Um, and it's like, okay, like, did we really have to get all pissed about it before you guys ha did something, you know, and you guys meaning like authorities, the people who vowed to serve and protect. And then here we are, I mean, just a month or so later, and we are in this, this suck fest, if you will, where we saw a man lose his life in front of our eyes. And we saw four, you know, police officers. Um, they were all in the situation. And one man was just, you know, killing him, basically. Um, and it's really hard to use these terms. I, on the podcast, I've always tried to keep it very positive. I started this podcast because I saw a lot of negative comments on Facebook in the community page and a lot of, you know, just negativity coming up in the community. And I wanted to see a source of positivity. But right now, I think it's important that we address what's happening. We're all under curfew now, 6 p.m. 
Um, mm. Do you guys live in Long Beach? Yes. I thought so. Okay. I thought I had heard you guys lived in Long Beach. I mean, the damage that was done there, what is it? What have you guys seen? <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, um, they, they implemented a 1 p.m. curfew in Long Beach yesterday um, in the business district, 4 p.m. citywide on any of the larger public thoroughfares or streets. Mm -hmm. We have actually a very um, um, difficult story that's close to our heart. Um, our, our boys attend a dojo that's on 6th Street right off of Pine, and the building was burnt down, including the dojo. The but only fire. There's only one fire, and it was that building. And uh, Professor Zahalia um, runs the dojo. It was handed down to her by her father. She's African-American. She grew up with Bumi. They've known each other as, like, sisters since they were real young. And, um, and we, we reached out. We prayed for her going into the Long Beach rioting, the protesting, um, praying for protection. And um, sadly, the dojo was part of the big, huge building fire. She showed up the next morning. She was broken, torn, leaning on the, the scissor gate doors of her dojo, seeing it burnt down. They were able, they, they tried to say what they could, but the joy of it though, Amanda, is that her post went global. And in one day, by last, was it by last night, there was close to $100,000 raised for wow. her dojo, for her to, to, to decide what she's going, going to do about rebuilding um, that place that meant so much to her. And I think that's a microcosm and really symbolic of what's going on as a whole. We see these fires raging throughout America um, and what is gonna emerge from the fire is going to be the refined gold that I believe God is going to do and God is going to bring change, transformation, and reformation in our world. Because the reason why I believe people are responding the way they are on social media, why people are, are so livid and so angry, and we're not just talking about one simple demographics, not just African-American people that are mad, that are, you know, protesting it's it's a it's a, a unified effort in that sense but it's because for too long there's been a measured response to every single incident um liability there's conversations behind closed doors there's no accountability sometimes in situations that take place across the country um in a system that has failed african americans by and large and minority populations and so that's what we're dealing with as a, as a uh, Mexican-American male in this country, married to an African-American woman, raising boys um, and a daughter who are mixed and, um, you know, trying to make sense of all this. And we're educating them while we're going through this whole situation. And, and uh, so it's been tough. Um, and, and that's why people are, are more, um, they're, they're more, prone to just speak right right away speak to the, the the emotive response that they're having the knee-jerk reaction to this i mean when george floyd died and i saw that video i cried i cried because i said here it is a, again it's it's we this stuff could be prevented but people are not ready to listen people were not ready to listen they're not there has not been enough bridge builders there's not been enough enough peacemakers there's not been enough fight for change because folks have not wanted to listen and that's why this destruction that we're seeing through the rioting through the the peaceful protests that are turning violent we're trying to make sense of them and sometimes people are getting distracted by the damage or the destruction of the riots or some of the protesting gone awry um, and we're losing focus from the actual fire or the blaze that is at the, the epicenter of this whole situation. And my wife wrote to that and she spoke to that. Um, and she's the one who said, we got we to gotta speak to this right now. We have to be a voice and we have to be leaders in our community, not only our church community, but in our community. Um, and so we, we appreciate the opportunity to come on and just share as um, you know, faith leaders in the community of 
you know, even in, like in the city of, of Pedro, folks that we love um, that are wanting to make sense of this and that may fall in different areas of the spectrum to bring conversation, people to the table, because I believe change is going to happen. I believe um, we're going to see a bright future. We're going to model for our, for the next generation, what that will look like. Um, that's, that's encouraging to hear. Cause I, you know, the fact that you say that you're optimistic that there is going to be change coming from this, that's really, uh, it makes me feel hopeful because I feel like in the midst of all this, it's just like, chaos you know we're in the middle of it the the curfews are still happening the protests are still happening they're now kind of like um rippling out to different countries and we're seeing that that our message you know which is that all black black lives matter you know um is being ricocheted all over the world and um you know i think i think it's important to acknowledge that you know it, it's so hard on social media because like even I've been obsessively looking and posting and seeing who's posting and my poor baby is like throwing my phone and I'm like I'm sorry I'm not paying attention you know and, and I'm never like that I'm always like put your phone away when you're with your kid I try to do my best and lately I have just been so obsessively checking to see what is going on who is sharing who's not sharing who's racist <laughs> and um you know i think that's what we're doing we're just like all on edge all looking to see what's going on you know and i'm i'm definitely part of that i've just been like on edge and i've been like who's coming for me you know and i um i think there has to be some type of uh, there has to be some type of resolution and a call to action that will progress us forward um I'm curious to know how you guys talked about what happened and what is happening with with your kids. Um, how how old are they? Um, Thirteen, eleven, and three. Mm -hmm. Two older boys and then the baby girl. What are your boys? How are they reacting to this? Um, I think our thirteen-year-old is a little bit more conscious and aware of his emotions and how he feels and thinking about it and what it means um, applying it to him and maybe how um, he feels the world or society may view him or think of him as a young black male um, so he was sad and he was sad for um, um, his, yeah his professor but George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey um, just why did they have to die? You know, wasn't there another way? Um, you know, why did it have to happen that way? Just asking those kind of questions. Um, our 11-year-old is um, feels the same, just a sense of sadness. Um, but you know, he he uh, surprises by saying though he's still proud to be African American and to be mixed and. Um, and what comes with it and, and, and in no way does he wish he was not, you know, mixed or um, have browner skin than somebody else. So um, our, you know, I was discussing last night of just, I know it can feel very dismal with just when you're in it and what you're looking at and feeling people's anger and rage and sometimes hatred and it just could feel overwhelming. But you know, once we're able to kind of push back those emotions and identify the pain, then we could start applying ointment to that pain and addressing it and creating healing so that, you know, for the children, for the next generation, they're able to see the progression and they're able to see the change and adopt that change, that change for themselves. And so, you know, um, it's not only that we're doing this for us now here and today, but we're doing it for the generations to come that we're implementing, you know, you need to identify those wrong kind of thoughts and thinkings and words and mentalities and preconceived notion and biases and prejudices that, you know, are covert and overt. And so you just, that, that will be able to create change and a better future for them. And that's where the hope lies is for our next generation. Yeah. I, uh, Amanda, if I could speak to it just very, very briefly. Um, you know, we, we sat our kids down and we had a, a kind of family meeting yesterday because things had come to a head. But Monday was um, it was an emotional day because of the dojo, you know, I'm waking up Monday morning hearing about what had happened. Mm -hmm. um, so we wanted to give them a, 
a, a place to express themselves and for us as well, because they've been hearing mom and dad go back and forth. I mean, trying to look at both sides of the situation and, and piece through it and, and, and still wanting to land on our feet as to where we stand, not straddling the fence, but like, no, this is where we stand on this issue. And, and it was important because we were demonstrating to our children that mom and I, we stand together. We may not look the same. We may not even come from the same backgrounds or the same upbringing or the same thinking or the same politics or the same even, even uh, doctrinally specific in terms of our faith and, and, or what type of church environments we were raised in. But we wanted to show the boys that we're united and we're going to process, we're going to think through it, we're going we're gonna to work through it, and we're going to land on this situation together. We cannot afford to model to our children and for the next generation, for that matter, that we're going to be splintered. And I, you don't even have to be married or in an interracial marriage um, to, to say, you know what, we're going to land together on this issue on the same side of the fence. Because I like what uh, Pastor Traco Rochelle from, from our church in a conversation we had, he said, our generation, we're Generation X. He said, we're at bat, if I can use a baseball analogy. He said, the generation before us, the, uh, the, the boomers, uh, he said, they're in the dugout now. They, they already had their, their at-bat, their, their opportunity. They worked through the generation of Martin Luther King, right, and processed and did their best, and now it's our turn. We're up to bat, and, and what are we going to do? Because the next generation is on deck. Mm -hmm. And guess what? This next generation are the ones right now, they're the ones going crazy. They're the ones running without vision without purpose without an understanding because they're waiting for somebody to clarify things for them so that they can know how to think educationally historically biblically and and sociopolitically um about these very sensitive issues and so we're in prayer we're we've been on our knees we've been crying we're spending we're in the word of god we're talking and dialoguing with church leaders all across the country and the world because toronto berlin you know, London, they're protesting, they're, they're, they are kneeling, so to speak, um, with uh, Colin Kaepernick, right, um, who kneeled during the, the national anthem because of um, feeling that African Americans were not being heard in mm -hmm. light of police brutality over, over the last several years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And I think that, um, you know, we're all looking back at Colin and everything that he went through and all the persecution he faced. And I think some people are like, oh, like this is what the peaceful protest was. You know, there has been peaceful protests that have been enduring for years, even decades. And now it's kind of, um, like you said, reached a boiling point. And um, I, I'm excited to see what our next generation does, you know? Um, but I think you're right. They, there needs to be some type of clarity as to what's going on because right now it just seems like a huge mess, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask a little bit about some, what the Bible has to say about these times, you know, these really uh, controversial and, um, almost like warlike uh, unrest, you know, in the nation. Um, I know it's, it's, I mean, we still have the actual physical portrayal of violence in the rioting and the looting and all that, um, but we also have the peaceful protests. And then there's a lot of people still at home, but going away at their keyboards, you know, it's a different time in our history, but it's still history. It's still, these times have happened before so i wanted to see if you guys had any perspective as far as what the bible has to say about these times i think the times that we're in are a byproduct of what we know as uh the end times i do believe that we are in the end times when you look at um the bible as a whole um or christian history per se um we um we fall into what the Bible refers to as the days of the church. And so in terms of God's redemption plan, the church really is post-Christ, right? It's post-resurrection. Uh, it's um, the, 
the, the acts of the Holy Spirit and the early church really getting things moving in a different kind of way. And the early church 2,000 years ago really demonstrated for us what change was going to look like. Um, there's a passage in the book of Acts chapter 10 where Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples and part of Jesus' inner circle, um, believed and lived like the gospel message of Christ, of love, of forgiveness, and salvation was only for the Jews. So he was very ethnocentric. He was, he was very um, much focused on his own people, so to speak. And God had to come, come to Peter through series of, of kind of signs that, that things were about to change. And in Acts chapter 10, God gives Peter a vision. And basically, I, I don't want to go into too much detail, for the sake of time. But in this vision that Peter received, God speaks to him and shows him that the gospel was not meant only for the Jews, but for all mankind. Mm -hmm. um, and it's Peter at that point wasn't really ready to let go of this idea of like, no, Jesus is ours. Like salvation is for the Jews. You know, mm -hmm. he wasn't quite ready yet. And so God had to bring another man named Cornelius. The Bible says Cornelius was from the Italian regiment, which meant he was a Gentile. He was a Roman soldier, um, but he led a group of about 100 men. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Cornelius. It says because he was a God-fearing man. He was a man who had recognized the God of the Jews as this supreme being, creator of all, yet he wasn't a Jew himself. But he was a, a God-fearer. He was a good man. And he prayed to God, believe it or not. So God used him, a Gentile, a man of good works, a man of good rapport, a man of influence, and sent him to Peter so that they could have a conversation. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 36, after they begin the discussion, Peter is finally convinced because the Holy Spirit showed up and demonstrated that God, in fact, wanted the whole world to know and to understand that Jesus was for all mankind. And so when Peter recognized God's fingerprints and, and his, his intervening um, in the life of the early church, Peter was humbled and he says, well, far be it from me to withhold the blessings of God, the anointing of heaven, and to um, keep our fellow brethren who are now Gentiles, not of Jewish descent, right, or Jewish lineage or, or faith tradition at all. Mm -hmm. um, but in fact, um, Jesus is being given and offered to the world on behalf um, of all mankind. So this is a very significant moment in the Bible where the, the coming together of two very different people groups, different you know, traditions, different upbringings, spiritual, you know, religious understandings, um, and they have to work things out together, right? Because they didn't want to give in. Peter's like, no, no, no. Cornelius is like, well, I'll, I'll do whatever you say, but God just came to us, right? And, and in the end, that's where we as the early church, uh, excuse me, we as the church look back to the model in the early church and and say, you know what, that is our job too. Christ came for all mankind and for no matter what color, um, black, white, brown, um, of Asian descent, God, God came for all and we're all his children. Mm -hmm. I, I hope that that message sinks in with everybody, not only listening, but I, I hope that it just ripples throughout the community and throughout the world. You know, what's funny is right before you said, you know, that you, you feel like this was part of the end times. I was going to initially ask you when we first started our podcast was like, so like, are we in the end times pastor? <laughs> Cause I mean, especially like in 2020, it's like, Oh great. What new chapter of the apocalypse are we in? You know? And it's like, we got murder hornets. We're in a pandemic, you know, it's, I mean, what's next? Um, so, um, 
yeah and i think it's funny that you said that but i i i understand the message you know which is that if i can interpret it a little bit that right now what we're seeing is two groups of people if you will i mean and and not everybody falls within exactly within these two groups but there is a group of people who do not want to be oppressed and who have felt very oppressed and when we look back through our history in this country have been historically oppressed you know and another group that has been powerful if you will who have had their you know the wealth and the you know the the fruitfulness of the of the world they have had plenty and there is not a lot of overlap you know and i think that the message is is that all the good that's in the world is for everyone and um i i really hope that that message does sink in with the community um if there was a call to action that you could give you know our listeners what would it be um especially knowing that not everybody falls in the same place when it comes to this issue since there's so much going on what what would you what would action would you give um what i would say is just um caring first having a heart that cares for your neighbor um for your fellow um citizen um your coworker who's hurting um not everybody live the same situation have the same life experiences and it's not trying to compare your life experience with somebody else but more understanding that somebody else endured something feels a certain way and you're acknowledging those feelings and you're acknowledging um that they're in pain and you're saying i hear you i i understand you're in pain and you know what can we do now going forward to help remove that pain or alleviate um i think a lot of times um there's just a complete lack of empathy um people do not care to understand where somebody else is coming from because they don't relate to it it's not it's not their life experience um so it's just easier to dismiss it or walk past it turn the page on it turn the channel off of it then rather allow the inner spirit within you that you know god gave us the holy spirit because it's what grieves us it what's it what it's what convicts us and it's what allows us to identify and connect with our fellow human being and so when you just allow your heart to be open to receive like i i don't know their story or i didn't live that story but i understand pain and they're in pain and you know I don't want to see somebody else in pain so how can I um be for them um we were on a meeting earlier and somebody used the great analogy of a lot of times um people like to be together or with each other but not for each other so just because you know you may have some black friends or coworkers or you you know some people say that I'm not racist I don't you know I have you know the, the term my some of my best friends are black right mm -hmm. but are you really for them do you really take on and 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 listen to their issues and griefs and um you know like i hear you yeah let's talk about it. what does that look like even though the conversation can be uncomfortable and you know maybe some toes are stepped on or feelings are hurt but you're willing to go through that to get towards resolution um so i believe you know starting with each individual's personal um heart checking their heart and uh, and just allowing themselves to feel for their other person feel that person's pain um can go a long way empathy can go a long way it just it it makes someone just a lot of times a lot of african american people want to feel heard like you hear me do you see me do you see the tears in my eyes you feel you know my pain and frustrations or um does it just sound like shouting to you or um or not your problem um so i believe that that would be a good first start If if I can speak to that Amanda um <clears throat> you know I think when it when it comes to action items um is your question I think about people who are in positions of privilege um for far too long um I'll say we because I think we all need to take responsibility we've defended ourselves and explained away 
um, why things happen in the world and the way things are and just say it is what it is um, or, or we look the other way um, or we don't take responsibility for the realities of our the situations well instead of uh, defending we have to acknowledge as Bumi said and be empathetic with what people are experiencing how they're feeling um, and and learn truly to listen because learning to listen is going to bring understanding and comprehension um, at a heart level not just um, an intellectual level the other thing I see is um, rather than looking the other way um, you know we need to allow the light to be shined in some of those darker areas that haven't been exposed right uh, again um, a friend of ours said you walk into a room you turn the light on and sometimes people say oh turn the light back off because <laughs> i don't like what i see and i'd rather just pretend and just close my eyes and just keep move keep moving keep my head down just focus on me and mine or me and my family um, and stay in my lane, right? We've all heard that, stay in your lane. Well, no, right now's the time to get in another lane, right? And to keep the light on and keep this, the conversation going so that we could truly bring, be a part of the solution and not be regurgitating or going back to the same thing. Because folks are saying change is gonna happen now, but you know, like as church leaders, we're having conversations now about like, we can't go back, we have to make, uh, a commitment and be resolved that we are going to remain united and there's going to be some folks that are not going to want to be a part of the conversation there's going to be some folks that are going to choose to exit you know um, at the next turn um, because they're going to they're not going to want to embrace being uncomfortable with some of the things that are going to be shared or said about how especially our, our minorities or the marginalized have felt and how they've been treated, even in our own church, right? We have to really bring it home. We can't keep pawning it off or pointing the finger or, or looking down the street and saying, you know, it's them. It's, it's right here. It's us. Far too long, we've allowed things to persist and to, or, or we, we remain stuck at inaction when it comes to um, bringing about change that is necessary um, and for our world. So... <sighs> Letting that all sink in, I think, yeah, that's incredibly powerful to just make it as simple as having empathy and to figure out which lane you're in, you know, um, you know, we don't want to get uncomfortable. And I remember, I remember being in that place where I just wasn't comfortable for a, a while to talk about anything race related, you know. And I never wanted to engage in politics on Facebook. And I just like, whoop, not for me, you know? And I kept scrolling past videos where I saw injustice being done. But it's like, how much do we keep scrolling past? How many videos are we gonna keep ignoring? How many of, um, how many people's voices are we gonna keep ignoring, you know? And for those people of privilege, which, you know, I know that I, I have been privileged in my life. Um, I think it's time that we do start acknowledging our privilege and acknowledging the, the injustice and the treatment of people who are not in our, our shoes, you know? Um, and that goes, along, that goes a long way because, you know, people realize I can't change the color of my skin. I was born to a Mexican-American father and a, a white American with European blood mother, right? I, I am who I am. And I don't think people, the, I don't think the expectation is you have to, you know, feel exactly how I feel or know exactly, but that's not, that's not the, the emphasis here. The emphasis is change. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea of being colorblind, right? Well, well yeah. or God doesn't see, see skin color, we all need to be colored, but that's, that's falsehood. We do need to see color. We do need to recognize the differences between my wife and I's skin tones. And we have to be okay with the differences. That's the beauty. It's not tolerance as much as it is embrace, right? That you're actually for me. Like I'm for Amanda, I'm for Ricardo as much as you guys are for me and for my wife, or I'm cool with Josh, right? But I'm not cool with his wife. Well, it's like, if you're not cool with my wife, then we ain't cool, <laughs> right? And that's what, 
being a part of this world and the love that we all have to share and we all have to spread. Um, and I know it's a dark time. I know there's buildings that are on fire it's because people's hearts are on fire. And we have to recognize that and we have to pray for change and we got to be the change. Yeah. Yeah. Historic times we're living in right now, which is insane. Um, but I, I really appreciate you guys being on the podcast with me and sharing some words of wisdom, sharing some being in this conversation with me as un, you know, as uncomfortable as a topic it might be for so many. I really appreciate having you guys, you know, talk it through with me too and um and give give some suggestions to our community of how we can bring more peace and understanding into our community. So Thank you guys so, so much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks so much, you guys, for listening. I know this wasn't an easy topic to discuss. Um, thank you for being a part of this conversation that was had. Um, if you want to learn more about Mission Ebenezer Family Church in Carson, I will put the links below. Um, another big thank you to Pastor Josh and Boomi Canales. Um, senior pastors of the church uh, for joining me in this conversation. I hope all of you will go out and make the world a better place.